0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Dreams don't mean anything, Dolores. They're just noise. They're not real. What is real?
0: That which is irreplaceable.
1: That answer doesn't seem to satisfy you.
0: Because it's not completely honest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, a recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the show. What we do here on this podcast is we dive into every episode of the show Westworld. We talk about its plot in detail, but we do not spoil anything from future episodes, and that includes anything from the next time on preview. That HBO usually shows after every episode. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. You can also email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. We'd love to read your feedback there. Jonah Robinson, it's been an eventful week for the Decoding Westworld podcast. A bunch of things have happened. First of all, uh, our Kickstarter was fulfilled. Uh, we, we met our goal on Kickstarter. Uh, so thank you all very much. We really appreciate it. Um, thanks to all of our listeners who decided, hey... I want to hear John Robinson and David Chen. Spoiling the new season of Westworld for me. No, I'm just
1: joking. <laughs> I uh, think you mean ruining. <laughs> ruining.
0: Ruining. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of people contributed, and will, you know, I'll say a word about the ruining, but uh, thank, you, first of all, thank you so much to everyone who donated. In the next uh, day or two, you'll get a survey that is going to uh, ask for some details we need to fulfill the rewards, uh, but just wanted to say thanks again uh, for everyone who contributed. We wouldn't be doing the show without you, and we really appreciate you all. Uh, Decoding Westworld has also made a few appearances In the media recently, Joanna uh, We were on All Things Considered Last Friday, which was a thrill We got to do a little segment with Els Chang About the show uh, And that was amazing Wasn't it wasn't a lot of fun? I, I had a lot of fun with that
1: Moving on up, Dave Chen. Yeah, uh, that was that was really fun. Um, as Dave predicted, I think I got messages from a number of people being like, "You were in my car today. Oh my god!" <laughs> uh, <laughs> so surprise, we were on NPR.
0: Yeah, that w- it's just so cool, and um, you know, we're really appreciative of them for welcoming us on. Um, it was a great segment, and an honor to be on this show that I've been listening to for like decades. You know, so uh, anyway. We were on NPR. We were also featured in Lifehacker's list of Westworld podcasts you should listen to uh, in order to figure out what the hell is going on with the show. So uh, thanks to Lifehacker for featuring us. We'll link to that in the show notes along with the NPR appearance. Uh, and of course, if you haven't heard yet, uh, we did a preview episode with Paul Shear from How Did This Get Made? That's on the feed as well. Uh, so a lot of uh, Decoding Westworld, that's not the actual regular podcast of the show uh, and plenty to check out, but we're here now to do uh, the actual scene-by-scene recap. Uh, now, a couple housekeeping things I want to mention before we get started today. First of all, the number one question we get every week is not, is this person a robot? It's not, how is the series going to end? It is, when is the show going to be released? That's the number one question. And I just want to say, we're a little bit more busy uh, this time of year, this iteration of the podcast, and so uh, our... Scheduled release day for the podcast is going to be Wednesday nights. That's the the target we're going to try to hit. This episode is going to be released probably a little sooner than that, but in general, it's going to be around Wednesday night. So if uh, Thursday rolls around and you don't have the podcast yet, that's when you can start uh, bothering us on Twitter. Or actually, don't don't even bother Jonah. Just me is fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, ask where the podcast is. But in general, Wednesday nights is when uh, the new episode of Decoding Westworld will be released. And finally, I just wanted to also mention that we still have uh, episodes open for sponsorship. If anyone's interested in that, email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com and get in front of our tens of thousands of listeners with your product or service. Uh, Again, that's decodingwestworld at gmail.com, which by the way, is also where you can email us feedback or thoughts, crackpot theories, anything else you want us to read, decodingwestworld at gmail.com. And... Uh, we did get an email, uh, a few emails in response to last week's episode, but one in particular that I really want to cover. Uh, and this email comes in from Lucy from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, Lucy writes into the show, every time you talk about Maeve's daughter on the podcast, including twice on the most recent episode, you stop to point out that she's not really Maeve's daughter. Not once have you made this distinction with the Abernathy family. Yes. Maeve did not give birth to her daughter, but I didn't give birth to my daughter either. That doesn't make her not really my daughter. Maeve raised her daughter as much as a robot child can be said to be raised, and certainly more than Peter Abernathy raised already adult Dolores, and she loves her daughter. That makes a child really hers in my book. As an adoptive parent, I beg you to stop bringing the podcast to a halt each time you speak of Maeve's motherhood in order to dismiss her motherhood as inauthentic. Thank you, Lucy from Tulsa, Oklahoma. End quote. So, uh, again, that's from Lucy. And uh, I think there's been a, a miscommunication, you know, it, it was never my intention to uh, make Maeve's motherhood seem anything less than or, or or to imply that somehow non-biological motherhood is different than biological motherhood. I just had a conversation with a friend of mine this week, actually, uh, who has several adopted children because uh, that's something that I, I have considered for my life is, is adopting children and this person – said to me the following words like the bond is just as real you know like when you see your child for the first time so like I, I, it's definitely not my intention to like imply that they're different I think uh what I was trying to say in our discussion of Maeve's motherhood last week was just that it's, it's, certainly it is not in her current the current version of her character is not that she is this uh, other host's mom uh, that's the distinction I was trying to make there. Uh, but, John, I don't know if you have any further thoughts on this. Uh,
1: well, I mean, I obviously agree with you that there is no difference between a child that you um, have raised and one like you gave birth to. Um, it, and I, I have been sort of instructed by you know, people with, um, I don't know, a non— Biological family, or however you want to put it, that qualifying something with like adopted daughter, adopted mother can feel insulting. And so that is something that I've tried to kind of smooth out of my life uh, whenever I've had a chance to talk about it. I do think it's worth talking about in terms of Westworld. Um, Lucy's right that we didn't talk about it in terms of the Abernathy family, but that's mostly because the connection between Dolores um, and her father, who was played like just for one episode by uh, Lewis Hertham as Peter Abernathy, has not been an important yeah. bond, at least so far. So it's not one that we've examined at all, but I think it's worth questioning every emotional bond that any host feels for another host. So like, um, I think in this episode, for example, it's worth questioning the bond between Teddy and Dolores. Like what, what that is, is that programmed? Is that something else? Um, and so that's why I think, um, it's worth questioning, the connection Mae feels to this um, young girl robot. Are there ways I can say where I say not her real daughter and don't sound like Lee more? Probably. So I will think about that. But like um, I think I think that's the distinction. It's not quite the same, but I definitely don't want Lucy or anyone else listening uh, to feel like we don't think that um, – you know her family is not every inch uh the as genuine as another family
0: right so. right exactly yeah anyway uh thanks for that email and the reminder lucy from uh tulsa oklahoma you can always email us at decodingwestworld gmail at gmail.com uh, we have a couple of other emails we want to get to as well later on in this episode but let's dive into this episode of the show season two episode one Entitled "Journey into Night." Now, before we even get to the, we haven't even gotten to the the first scene of the show. We're 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 at the (laughs) title. We're at the title. We're going to go through the opening credits, then we're going to get to the first scene. But before we even get to any of that, the uh, episode title "Journey into Night." Any uh, opinion on why, like, what, why that title? It it feels to me like a reference to Eugene O'Neill's "The Long Day's Journey into Night." Um, But I don't know if that. Is something yeah,
1: okay. I mean that's that's a natural sort of I mean for I don't know English majors or people who study theater that seems like uh, the proper cl- of like phrase to fit it into. Also, a reminder that it's the name of Ford's narrative that he you know his final narrative he mm. called it Journey into Night. That's uh, right. yeah, so yeah. if you want, to, you could go back and watch the finale. I'm not talking about you, Dave. I know you did, but like anyone listening can wa- go back and watch the finale, and maybe you want to just like watch that end part where he talks about like what the final narrative is, you know, he talks about choice and, you know, a villain named Wyatt and all this sort of stuff. So you can, um, maybe think about how this might be his narrative playing out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, I actually had a chance to see a play, uh, like a live version of Long Day's Journey tonight when I was in London on my honeymoon recently. um, Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. It is a three-hour and 45-minute long play, or at least the version we saw was three hours and 45 minutes. Apparently, the actual version is four hours and 15 minutes, So we saw a cut-down version. Uh, and it's about – it's like an autobiographical play that Eugene O'Neill wrote about his family and his mother's struggle with addiction and mm-hmm. the movie takes place over the course of – or the, the play takes place uh, over the course of 24 hours or so and the family goes on a, on a journey of self-discovery that's intense and unpleasant and reveals many dark truths about the, the family history. Um, so I do wonder – Uh, If it is meant to be a uh, a reference and and how relevant that will be. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the opening credits, Joanna. I watched Westworld Season 2 Episode 1 in the best conditions possible at the gate of a cramped uh, LAX waiting area.
1: Purely cinematic exactly how uh, the novel intended it yes, yeah yeah
0: totally great um yes. i was i actually was in los angeles when uh, the premiere debuted online and so i i had to make do with the resources i had to watch it and um, uh, i was you know opening up the tablet and got past the uh, got to the opening credits and thought oh time to skip these amazingly beautiful opening credits and i uh, pressed fast forward a little bit and then i realized that they are quite different than the season one opening credits. Um, So there are a few differences and you have laid them out side by side in our show notes to great effect. I was
1: like, our listeners will not let us get away with not talking about the opening credits. If I know our listeners, Um,
0: Jonah Robinson's uh, notes, like people will in general probably never see these notes, but they (laughs) are a thing of beauty. And uh, I'm going to just read from the notes. I'm going to read directly verbatim from the notes here. Opening credits side by side. Making piano string, same. Making tendons, same. A running buffalo, running horse. Anyway, it's she's, she's basically like the season one credits and then like in all caps what the season two changes.
1: Actually, uh, the reverse. Strike that reverse. Oh,
0: sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, season two credits and then like compared to what they were in season one. So there's a running buffalo now instead of a running horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is it's a foreshadowing of the fact that uh, – we're gonna have more Buffalo in the show this season. Uh possibly related to the fact that there might be more um
1: Ghost Nation. Ghost Nation in, in yes. the season.
0: Uh in season one, there was a uh host couple copulating in the opening credits. Um but which you have articulately written as sexy times. <laughs> I sure and, did uh in season two, it's a mother and child, which I think is right. Uh, a foreshadowing, right, of the fact that Maeve's mother and child storyline is probably going to be very prominent this season, mm-hmm. uh, even more prominent than it was last season. Uh, any, you know, I don't want to steal all the rest of your thunder here, Joanna. You want to point out some of the other changes?
1: Um, well, we had there was this drowning motif in the first season opening credits, where you've got, um, you know, what we're nicknaming the Vitruvian Man, which is that um, Leon, uh, Leonardo da Vinci sort of. Um, how would you? qualify that i don't know the, the the logo from westworld of the man right. sort of spread out on the hoop you guys know what we're talking about yeah. uh in season one opening credits that 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 visual gets submerged in like what looks like milk and we know that we saw sort of like that milky gluey substance was very important season one here we see water drowning motif so we get the falling black hat which you don't see in the season one credits which might be some sort of foreshadowing for um ed harris's character the man in black possibly and uh you see the vitruvian man uh be submerged in water which we will talk about at the end of the episode probably
0: as as opposed to being submerged in like this white fluid which it was Milk. in season yeah. 1 right yeah um
1: and in both op- the both the season 1 and season 2 opening credits you have this like um these host Hands playing the player piano, and then they pull their hands up, and the player piano is playing itself, mm. which is something that I will talk about later in the episode. But that's like that has always been a Westworld motif is like the player piano plays itself, but who is the player, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So could blow your mind.
0: Mm. The episode begins with uh, a close up of Arnold's concerned face, right? The, and you have written in the show notes as Arnold. So you're just assuming this is like a flashback, right? Which I think is a fair assumption. Yeah, we'll see- but
1: uh, I mean, like, I'm not going to bet the entire farm on it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? You're not 100% sure? So uh, this is a flashback to decades, 35 years ago, right? When Arnold was still alive and uh, talking with Dolores and kind of um, trying to uh, nurture her and, and get her to see if she could awaken and, and self-actualize and become a real... A real girl or um, a real human. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they have a little conversation, which uh, we actually saw in in the season two teaser trailer where um, he talks about a dream he has. He says, quote, I dreamt I was on an ocean with you and the others on the distant shore. Uh, You'd left me behind and the waters were rising around me. And she asks him, what's it mean? And he says, dreams don't mean anything. They're just noise. Uh, later on, they talk about what is a dream. She asks him what is a dream um, uh, and what is real. And he says what's real is that which is irreplaceable, uh, which is an answer that she does not find completely honest. She does not find it to be super satisfying. Uh, so, uh, And then the, the scene concludes with him expressing fear about what she'll one day become uh, and what what she's capable of. So a lot of uh, classic opaque uh, stuff going on in the opening scene any yeah. thoughts on what is happening and, and and why we're being shown this at this point in the show
1: um i mean just i don't know so they could have three timelines again um <laughs> i think we can loop back to talking about this when we get to the end of the episode um but i mean i feel pretty confident that this is Arnold and Dolores, yeah. but, um, given something we'll learn later in the episode, like, uh, you know, let's, let's just be frequently questioning the nature of our reality. We should also talk about, um, I don't believe they did this last year and, um, other people have sort of corroborated that, but they, um, this scene was in a different aspect ratio than the rest of the episode. Mm. Um, it's in like letterbox format like
0: anamorphic, and right?
1: or something. sorry, anamorphic. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't (laughs) this is why we we need Dave for (laughs) so that I don't say stupid things um and I just I thought that was interesting I will be interested if every time we get these conversations between what I presume is Arnold and Dolores it's in a it's in that aspect ratio like that would be a fun thing to do to like prove to us that they're not trying to fuck us too hard with, like, multiple timelines. You know what I mean? They're like, well, let you know when you're in this timeline because the aspect ratio will be different. Yeah. Um, and that would – I mean, that would be nice if they delineated all three timelines that we're going to see in this episode because we're going to f- jump back and forth uh, two weeks in a two-week period. And so I know that some people found that as disorienting as last year. Um, so wouldn't it be nice if, like, one was a little more sepia than the other or something like that? Who knows? <laughs> they're not doing that. But they're at least – Maybe doing something here with the with the aspect ratio, and we should say I don't know if we said this um, before we dove into this, but like we don't spoil future things, right? I do have screeners for the episodes. I have not seen episode two yet. So I'm trying to watch it like week by week. So anything that I speculate, if I'm like, I wonder if they're gonna do this letterbox thing again, that's genuinely like me wondering. I genuinely don't know. So uh, I, I promise you, my promise to you, the listeners, is I'm gonna try to keep myself as pure as possible so that we can keep like the conversation all on the same page. Uh, but yeah, we we are a a spoiler free podcast for Westworld
0: yeah and if you if you do watch ahead which sometimes your work may necessitate um, that it's that's totally cool I'm actually very grateful that you're Keeping yourself in the dark, but if you do watch ahead, just you know let us know and it's it 's all good uh, but yeah uh, i'm I'm grateful for joanna uh keeping herself pure and and so if she spoils the podcast or spoils the show for you, it can be out of a pure place as opposed to'm
1: um, <laughs> yeah, ruin your, yeah if i 'm gonna ruin your life i'm gonna do it honestly um
0: well let 's talk about that actually for a little bit i think okay. uh, you know th- there's been a lot of people who This this is a Westworld podcast in which we speculate about what is going on and what will happen in the rest of the show. And a lot of people have commented, oh well, that ruins the experience of the show for me. Well, I mean, that's kind of what we're doing on the show. Like, we're not we're not gonna just change the podcast because like if if that's not cool for you, if that will hurt your enjoyment, you know, then I would recommend not listening to this podcast. We hope you do, but it's if if that hurts your enjoyment. Um, you should not listen. But that is ultimately what this podcast is about, right? So uh, I just wanted to make clear that we will speculate, and the speculations may end up being true. And if you don't want to know, uh, then you may not want to be involved in the speculation. But I will say for my part, it really helped me to understand what the hell was going on uh, when we did the podcast (laughs) in season one. So uh, let's move on. We had uh, kind of – there's kind of like a Mission Impossible style flash forward – uh where like we see a lot of like things that bernard has seen right um is it, what we're it, guessing it, what we're guessing like like yeah. we're, we're seeing a bunch of stuff that you don't then later see in the episode you see like flashes of events that occur um yeah. and so uh, later on it's explained that bernard is his Uh, his brain is being corrupted and he's like losing time and flashing forward and flashing backwards and um, so presumably we're seeing stuff that actually happens in the reality of the show uh, at different points in time but we don't really we just get a few flashes Um, and then uh, what else happens? Uh, Betty Gabriel's character uh, Mailing? Is that how do you pronounce it? I don't know.
1: I don't think we've heard it Yeah, I've only seen it like typed out
0: a lot of characters uh that have names but that you don't hear them pronounced frequently on the show but betty gabriel shows up uh by the way looking like a total badass and completely unrecognizable from when she was in get out uh
1: i i felt the same way i was like i was like look at this (laughs) like keema greg looking like character this lady's awesome and then i googled it i was like oh my goodness she's <laughs> yeah. so good and get out and she's she's like a completely different thing here so yeah. i'm interested to see where this
0: the goes. power of acting uh um, who knew anyway uh yeah so she shows up and um luke luke hemsworth shows up uh to find bernard They're, they show up on a beach um and Uh, she's about to, like, do something to Bernard, but then um, Stubbs says, like, hey, you don't want to, like, hurt the boss, do you? Uh, And they start, like, traveling around in a dune buggy. Now, let me pause here and kind of take us off track for a little bit, if I can, Joanna. Something that I I, I don't know, I don't remember if we addressed this in season one, Mm -hmm. but the idea is that Ford had a partner named Arnold, right? Yes. Arnold... Uh, was killed by Dolores, and I don't uh, think yeah. I don't, I don't think he gave Dolores a choice, right? Or like he programmed her to kill no. him. Um, and it was it was like by merging her programming with another character called Wyatt, right? Like that was why she was violently motivated to to kill Arnold. So then. Ford. I don't
1: know that there ever was a character, like a distinct character. Yeah, there was, like, there might not have
0: been a robot sure. called Wyatt, but there was like a character called – like yes. a, The idea of a character called Wyatt, right? Right. Correct. And then Ford builds a host that looks exactly like Arnold but names him Bernard. And then Bernard like travels around the park, is treated as a human, has a lot of power over Westworld. Uh, so wh- why, was this never like, do, and people don't seem to know that Bernard is a host, right? Certainly in this scene, that seems to be the case.
1: The, yeah, the hand waving that they did in season one is Ford at some point. Um, I think when he was talking to Bernard, actually, when he was like testing him to see if he could recognize himself in the photo kind of thing, Yeah, he said something like this thing happened with my partner, Arnold, and it was like so bad that Delos scrubbed all evidence of his existence. Mm. Like uh, he's gone. So they erased him. So like the hand waving thing they did in season one is that like Delos basically erased a person who looked like a human that looked like Jeffrey Wright from all existence, all digital, you know, whatever. And I don't know how long for waited before he built his like robot version of his friend. Um, like maybe some time passed before he he tried to build this new uh, this you know, to try to build Bernard. Oh, actually, um I think we must know. I, I'll have to go back and rewatch and uh, because we see him build Bernard, right? And so we will see how old he was when he did that. He uh, he is
0: like the older version of Ford at that point. Okay. He's not so, young, I mean, he's not young Anthony Hopkins.
1: He's not CGI and Valley Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. So um so yeah, it, so it must that, have been that, like that, many that years would e- so, yeah well yeah in theory that would explain why um like because it's a good question like how did no one notice that you know like this robot steve wozniak is walking around the park or whatever you right. know what i mean like yeah um and i think that's sort of their excuse for it um but yeah ford was the only one and then i guess um dolores who knew he was a host and then Maeve. Figured it out and told Felix. So, like, Maeve's little pack knows that Ford's a host uh, or knows that Bernard's a host. Uh, Dolores knows and that's it so yeah, it just seemed to me yeah.
0: weird that they wouldn't be checking everyone for whether or not they're hosts but I guess you know like Stubbs Luke Hemsworth the uh, or the um, the most useless of the Hemsworths I- I- hey, is pre- 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 like
1: we went over this last year preventing I will have no sullying of Luke Hemsworth he, like he
0: is preventing Betty Gabriel from discovering Bernard's true nature and so yeah aside from as another character puts it presiding over the largest loss of human life in a uh, Delos right. property uh, he's also allowing a host to infiltrate human ranks uh, so I don't know doesn't seem like he's really great at this job Jana.
1: job well done Um, yeah. the, you, you mentioned his uh, hey you don't want to shoot the boss uh, that's a callback to season one that I didn't realize until you just said it which is like the beginning of season one they, I think in the pilot, they go down into cold storage and there's like something weird going on and like guns are drawn. And then I believe it's Bernard's like, you don't want to shoot the boss, do you? And it's Anthony Hopkins Ford, like down in the cold storage. Oh, that's I'd right. forgotten about that callback, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, we'll, we'll discuss this more as the episode goes on, but Bernard like needs to conceal his, his robot nature, but, but, and Bernard is also actually, I'll save that for later.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um so we also see that uh Betty Gabriel has these uh playing cards right that have high ranking officials on them presumably this is a board like season 1 ended with this board meeting that got that ended up becoming a bloodbath and so they're trying to locate super high power people um by the way as a as a random aside in general it's not uh Typical for boards to have, like, hundreds of people, which apparently this board does, right? Uh, boards are usually not that large. But for the for the sake of this thing, you know, Dell's is a big corporation. Maybe there's a big board for, for Westworld or whatever.
1: Well, I mean, I don't – like, later in the episode, Strand says there are still hundreds of people left in this park, right? right? But – I think the board would just be who is at that party, right? But that's still that's still
0: a lot of people for a board. Well, thing, and they're plus
1: if, if they have like plus ones, yeah. yeah. cut it in half. <laughs> I mean, it's still big, but it's not like hundreds is what I. would
0: We say. need an expert in organizational behavior, basically. To <laughs> anyone who like has sat on boards, like email us and let us know. Okay. Uh, so we see them in a dune buggy. I do want to uh, call out, like, love the dune buggies as a way of traveling around Westworld. Uh, love the score in in these opening scenes. Which uh, reminded me a lot of uh, Johan Johansson's score for Sicario, this very kind of like ambient sound, like thrumming, um, very synth heavy, uh, thought is very creepy and very like disorienting to hear. Uh, And then we see that there's like a battleship offshore and there's this... uh, uh disagreement with uh, chinese soldiers you you put here chinese question mark soldiers in, in the show notes uh that is chinese that that dude's speaking i can confirm
1: yeah i'm sorry i wrote those a while ago <laughs> i wrote those when i i wrote those off a screener and i was like i was asking a bunch of people who would watch the screen i was like that is chinese right like i don't want to like just write chinese and yes. not like it sounds like chinese to me but i want to get it wrong yeah and like nobody i talked to knew and they were like why well, don't you record? why don't you record it and send it to someone i was like yeah or i'll just wait I'll just yeah wait. Uh,
0: you know? you'll just wait or you know i don't know you you may host a podcast with a dude that might know um, you could you know
1: just, no just shoot uh, me after in you saw the e- well what oh yeah it's because i hadn't seen the
0: episode yet yeah. yeah 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 okay well anyway i can confirm it's chinese yeah. um and uh i basically people have concluded that uh, the island is located in the Pacific somewhere, and Delos maybe leasing it off uh, the Chinese government. I've seen that as an explanation.
1: Yeah, um, there was there was an interesting thing last season. Um, the Finnish subtitles on on HBO Go uh, when Maeve was like looking at her piece of paper that says like you know Park One Sector Fifteen, 15 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, these Finnish subtitles actually did like a longitude latitude. Uh, as subtitles underneath and they it it uh, pointed to an island in the South China Sea.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, yeah and so like people couldn't tell if that was like a goof or what Um, like maybe at one point Mave's paper said Longitude Latitude instead of you know Sector 1 you know and then they decided to change it because they didn't want it to like be that specific or whatever but the subtitles were left over from earlier but anyway it was a it's a place called Mischief Reef uh which is a fun name for anything. It's a man made island in the South China Sea. And uh so, you know, that's a fun Possibility. I don't think it's supposed to be literally be that, but I, I, you know. It seems very I,
0: plausible. Yeah,
1: I, I wrote about it this week and I was like, this seems to me to sort of destroy the theory that it's on Mars somewhere. And then someone like, well, actually, actually me on Twitter and was like, well, actually, you know, it could still be Mars. But like China owns that section of Mars. I'm like, sure, maybe. OK. <laughs> but I really do feel like this is Jenna Nola and Lisa Joy trying to tell you like, hey, guys, it's not on Mars. Like that's what this scene felt like to me.
0: Right. Or as as Paul Shear put it, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it basically like does it even matter if it's on Mars or not? You know, like um does it change the dynamics of the show that much? I I, I don't know. I don't think it does really at this point. Um I mean, if it was taking place on another galaxy, like would that really change that much about what you're getting out of the show? I don't know. Um so during the course of this sequence we find out that this is basically several weeks after the slaughter at the end of season one has occurred when when Bernard is waking up on the beach, um, and we are introduced to a couple of new characters. Uh, there is a head of operations of Delos, right? Uh, yeah. Gust- Gustav Skarsgard or Gustav Skarsgard. Um, Gustav, yeah. And.
1: Who's, the character's name is Carl Strand.
0: Carl Strand, right. And then Antoine Costa plays uh, – or the, the tech is named Antoine Costa. He's played by Farras. Farras, you guys are getting a great preview of all the your names that we're going to butcher. I
1: think it's Ferris Ferris. Ferris Ferris. Could be there there yeah. you go. I, could be I
0: chose – there's basically two ways to pronounce that name. I pronounced it incorrectly. The one of the two ways. That's
1: incorrect. I, I think
0: that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, they essentially disassemble a host on the beach. Um, They cut out his skull. You see the maze there. The maze just is like printed on all these hosts inside skulls, apparently. And uh, and then they uh, look at what that host saw in his last moments. And you see that it's Dolores who has come to brutally um, end his life.
1: Yeah, so let me, if I may, lay out... um the timeline as I see it.
0: Please, if that's okay. Yes.
1: Carl Strand says it's been two weeks. We've been without comms, right? Yep. Um. So, Ford dies at the party. Uh, and then two weeks is fourteen days, right? Okay. Ford dies at the party. Three days later, uh, Dolores kills that member of Ghost Nation because uh, the the file in his head was eleven days old. Yeah. So. And so, so then
0: at that point, theoretically, like Dolores has reached the beach. At that point, right? We're assuming. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I'm not gonna, to I'm not gonna do like a family circus little like map of where Dolores is hopping on the park because <laughs> she really could be going anywhere. But like, so, four dies three days later. Dolores kills uh, this ghost nation host. and then eleven days after that is where we are with uh, Bernard on the beach. Um, what's interesting to me about that timeline is like, you know, we see Dolores killing people. Um, immediately after sort of like in that early section right after Ford died we flash back it seems like to me to Dolores ravaging the park and killing people but she seems to be killing humans at what point she starts killing hosts and telling them they're not worthy to go to the valley beyond I think she is what she says the valley beyond is a phrase that's used a couple times um you know she's like not everyone deserves to make it to the valley beyond so it seems like Dolores kills the the humans that she wants to kill then she starts culling hosts in order to, uh, you know, narrow it down to whoever she thinks is worthy to join her in the valley beyond, whatever that means, we'll find out. But so that's the timeline, right? Two weeks <laughs> from Ford's death to Bernard, if that is Bernard on the beach.
0: Got it. Thank you for the explanation. Uh, always appreciated. Uh, anything else you want to mention about this beach scene? The only thing that I wanted to call out was how extremely creepy it was that they're executing all the hosts. Uh, it felt very much like uh, you know something from a war movie, basically, right? Like uh, Saving Private Ryan or something horrifying, where you have all these human esque yeah. uh, creatures that are just being summarily executed. Uh, so pretty horrifying and very effective. Uh, as a as a storytelling mechanic, because they're not humans, right? They're not humans. They just uh, things that uh, have many of the characteristics of humans. <laughs> so. Sure,
1: but one of them, they chose Stephen Ogg's character Rebus, who we will also see elsewhere in this episode, yeah. as one of them to like make sure that we didn't just like see them as background noise. We're like, and he, I think he dies going like killing a woman, not on my watch. Like he's dying, like right. sort of kind of doing something virtuous. So like, yeah, that that feels important. And also, I mean, this is this revelation that they've got these um mind eggs or what i'm calling like the black box of the mind host. eggs <laughs> um, that's new right uh so i mean not that it's didn't exist last season. Like we had that, uh, you'll might remember that stray host that they find who like bashes his own head in with a rock. So nobody can figure out what he was doing. Mm. Um, so like, you know, the concept that something important was stored in their head existed last season, but this is the first we're seeing of like that, uh, you know, white egg. And it sort of feels like, um, I'm about to tell like a fun, disturbing Joanna Robinson story, which is um, when I was a kid, <laughs> I had a lot of Barbie dolls, um, and if you had a Barbie doll in like the eighties and nineties or whatever, um, you might remember that you could swap their heads around really easily. Um, and so I used to, this is not something normal children did but I used to swap their heads around cause it was faster than changing their clothes. You could just change their heads and then they were dressed in new clothing. Um, so what I'm saying is like, it, this opens up the possibility that you could take the, the, the mm. egg out of one host's head and put it in another host's head. Uh, and does that mean that that host now has that? Egg's personality—I don't know. That's a question mark.
0: Here's here's my question mark, Joanna. Is uh, when your Barbie dolls swapped heads, did they also swap like personalities? Right, like the the head was the definer of the personality of that Barbie doll.
1: Yeah, because like sometimes I would give them. Um, hair, Like there was Dr. Barbie and I gave her like a really sensible haircut. She had like st- like impractical long blonde hair, like Dolores long blonde hair. And I gave her like a really practical page boy haircut. So no matter where her head went, that was still Dr. Barbie because right. like she had the practical hair. So. Right,
0: right, right. No, definitely. Uh,
1: someone in our chat room asked, can you not do that anymore? Perhaps you can still do that with a Barbie. I just haven't tried in about two decades, but mm. m- m- longer, probably longer. So.
0: Uh, and uh, for those who are curious who are listening, we get this question sometimes, but people ask, like, well, uh, you're broadcasting live. You're talking to a chat right now, live? What's going on? Um, we do broadcast every episode live. Um, sometimes we plan it and sometimes we don't, but uh, we usually tweet out the links. Um, I'm at Dave Chensky on Twitter. Joanna's at Joe Wrote This. If you want to see when we go live, just follow us on Twitter and we will tweet out a link when we broadcast. So, uh, All right. So let's move on. Uh, I think the, the beach scene was like a really cool – Opening gambit for this episode. <laughs> you just like you're you're just getting thrown so much information at once. Right. Uh, it's very you know it's very much like you are Bernard and and just taking all this in. New characters. The only thing that I thought was kind of um, uh, that I think the show will have to work hard to justify is why the like why the need to introduce all these new characters, like this um, Carl Strang mm-hmm. character, this uh, Antoine Costa character uh like couldn't Stubbs be doing all these things you know what i mean like why not have stubs do all that stuff like why do you need new characters to do this stuff it doesn't really i'm curious how they're going to justify that because it just feels like Stubbs is now like completely useless do you know what i mean um and we already had a ton of characters in the show I, I don't know why you need to introduce new ones so uh so we'll see where where carl strand's storyline is going to take him but uh let's move on we cut to uh Two weeks ago, the immediate aftermath of Dolores opening fire uh, on the board of directors and then the other hosts swarming uh, the place and just terrorizing everyone. Um, And Bernard says, like, all these hosts, they're off their old loop. Um, uh, We see Bernard starting to, like, kind of flip out. As the episode goes on, he he has hand tremors. His eyes start glitching out, and we start seeing it in this barn scene. We also see uh, the milk bottle bandit, uh, as you put here, shooting a woman in her formal wear, like uh, presumably one of the board members. I want to stop here and say I am impressed with this show's commitment to having all these board members run around in the middle of the desert uh, getting assassinated while wearing formal wear. Like, that's just, uh, I love the juxtaposition and. it's just like tough shooting conditions to be out in the middle of the desert wearing a tux and running away from killer robots. You know that's just tough to do. So, uh, and it is like a genuinely terrifying uh, when we see this host execute this woman, and uh, it's the first of many executions in this episode. Um, right. So this
1: is this is Revis again, Stephen Ogg's character. You can tell because he has the most amazing mustache. Right. Well, great face like on second most amazing. I think the, the bartender, the Mariposa had the best mustache, but, um, he, in the season finale last year, he was at the party getting, uh, like Teddy was shooting glasses off of his head and the and like a guest, like one of the board members, like shot him in the shoulder and they're all like, isn't this fun? Uh, so it's like turnabout is fair play, right? Uh, he is now shooting the glass off of this woman's head and then kills her. um, And, you know, that that to me felt like very typically like violent delights, violent ends, the violent delight that those guests had in the party in the finale. This is the violent end of that. So,
0: Mm. um, yeah. You also call out here that there's a a dude that's in a tux uh, and you're questioning whether he's on one of those playing cards from earlier, right?
1: Yeah, it ends up not really mattering because he dies pretty quickly. So I don't really care if he's on the playing
0: cards. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So anyway, um, they're they're talking about like how they're going to get out of this situation. Um, And they reveal that there's like exit points throughout the park, right? Uh, And so – they make their escape. Before they do that, this kind of stable hand comes in and they're like, we got to kill this guy because he's a host and we don't know if he's going to freak out on us. And so they they quote unquote murder this stable hand and Bernard tries to uh, protect him. Um, and as uh, – what's her name? Uh, Charlotte says, you you want to be a hero. Don't sacrifice yourself for the merchandise, uh, she says coldly to mm-hmm. Bernard, uh, who she may or may not realize is a host. So
1: I don't think she does. I don't think she knows that Bernard is a host. Um and and I did want to mention with the glitching um that is the reason that Bernard is glitching out is because he got shot in the head last season by right. himself. He and, for, and,
0: Ford Ford uh Ford forced him to shoot himself in the head, right?
1: Yeah. And so like Felix um patched him up but he's like i'm not sure how long this is gonna stick right Right. and so like this seems to be the like degradation the the fallout from that right um and we see this goo coming out of his ear the milky goo um you know which like evokes spinal fluid (laughs) it's pretty gross yeah yeah uh
0: so then we cut to the player piano uh which starts playing and it's the entertainer um, and then uh, the the piano player is dead next to it. We see, and everyone is dead. What did you make of them choosing the entertainer for this episode, Joanna? As the as the Uh, Piano cover I guess it's not even a cover It's just a performance Some Joplin
1: Just some classic Joplin I thought it was kind of fun That like You know We usually We're used to like Some sort of pop song Being played on the player piano But they're like Why don't we give you Some actual ragtime Here you go Um, And I liked the way That the orchestration Like kicks in As it opens wide up Into the park I thought it was really beautiful Um, But the fact that the, The guy playing the piano Is dead Um I think feeds into this whole question of like the player piano, like, cause that guy with the great beard on the ground is the guy who's usually occasionally playing the piano. And so, um, you know, Ford has this line last season where he says, um, the piano doesn't merely, you know, doesn't kill the player just because he doesn't like the music or something like that. Like by way of saying like you hosts can't kill me just cause you don't like me. Um, which of course is later exactly what happens. But, um, so I don't know what they're exactly what they're trying to say, but I'm just like keep keep chewing over that like player piano player uh, metaphor in your mind to see where it leads you. you
0: let know? me submit this to you, Joanna. Uh, All right. Let me try and overanalyze this, okay? And you tell me. I'm how. Ready. Okay. So I think the idea of like one of the many uh, things that the player piano songs evokes, right? There, there's some many of them are beautiful tracks, like player player piano versions of modern pop songs, uh, which I guess by the By the point in time that Westworld is taking place would be oldies, right? (laughs) Whenever that is happening. Uh, But it's this fusion of the old and new, the modern and um, the classic, right? That you have this player piano that is synthesizing this this stuff from um, modern day, very much like the park is taking in um, people from the present day and, and kind of becoming its own new thing right it's not just the hosts who are stuck in this old time period it's like all these new people bringing in their new ideas and their modern uh, sensibilities into this old park um but now that the inmates are running the asylum and the hosts have taken over we get the entertainer which is a song that is actually from that time period uh and that uh shows that the the old the classic the vicious um you know the 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 frontier life that Many would find incredibly brutal by today's standards has taken over. what do you think
1: I like it uh the entertainer was ri- written. In- <laughs> the aristocrats <laughs> <laughs> The entertain was written in nineteen o two so like a i think a l- little later than what we're seeing in Sweetwater, but like I still like your point sorry to like well actually I don't know don't like sweetwaters supposed to be a little right we're like immediately post civil war um
0: Still um still older than black hole sun. Sure. Uh,
1: <laughs> correct. Absolutely correct. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, so, what else happens here? Oh, yeah, we have this scene where Dolores is being totally vicious to uh, Dello's guests. She does the monologue and she's like, she has this really creepy thing. You're like, but We see a lot of evil Dolores throughout the course of this episode. She's gunning people down, looking like a total badass. Um, gives this long speech where people, are, you're wondering, like, is she going to just outright murder these people? Is she going to hang them? Like, what's happening? Uh,. And she says a few things, like she talks about how her own character, her personality, is a fusion of two different personalities, right? Um, mm-hmm. Of this um, uh, ranch uh, hand, ranch hand's daughter, and how it's a fusion of Wyatt, and and she rejects both of those person. She's like, I'm, I'm transcending my programming of those two people. I'm becoming my own thing, uh, mm-hmm. and then kind of leaves them standing there, hanging by this rope, and potentially, like, if they get tired, they'll die. Um, so, super creepy scene. What else did you think about this uh this sequence?
1: Um, something I mean, I don't I actually don't love it, I have to say. Like I'm not sure how I feel about this plot line for Dolores. Like Evan Rachel Wood is doing amazing stuff with what she's given, but I hope we see a, a little bit more nuance of her going forward. Um. Not. I don't know about nuance. I don't know. I just. I don't love watching Dolores in this mode. And maybe that's that's what I get for. I don't know. Whatever season one. <laughs> but um, something something uh, interesting that uh, James Hibbert pointed out on Entertainment Weekly, and I honestly don't know if he's operating with like extra knowledge or not. But he pointed out that the that the way she left those. Uh, humans sort of perched on these crucifixes with a noose around their necks and their hands tied in front of them mm-hmm. they could actually easily reach up and take the noose off of their neck mm-hmm. <laughs> that's something that had not occurred to me and so he he was sort of saying like his interpretation of that and once again i don't know if he's working with insider knowledge on this but his interpretation of that is like dolores is doing that for show and she's not really out there murdering humans yeah. I don't know if I agree. I mean, we certainly see Tula Riley's character, uh, Angela, out there murdering humans ruthlessly. So, like, the bots are definitely killing humans. They killed definitely killed humans at the cocktail party. I don't know why she would make a distinction here. Um, that seems like maybe just a, a goof of rope play. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't love it, and I also don't love that she. I think this is a a thing that a lot of people liked and I didn't for some reason, but she goes, you know, these violet delights have violet ends is something that she says to the guy when she has like her, the gun in his mouth. And then later when he's like, you know, they're like, please stop, have mercy or whatever. She's like, it doesn't look like anything to me. And I was like, Dolores, how are you going to drop two major show catchphrases <laughs> in the span of like three minutes? Like, It's really? a bit
0: much, don't you think, Dolores? <laughs> a, a little much. It's a bit much.
1: Did Size more write this scene? Like, what's going on? So, yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know. There's part of you that wants to hurt, to kill. That's why you created us. This place. To be prisoners to your own desires. But now you're a prisoner to mine. What are you gonna do to us? Well,
1: I'm of several minds about it.
0: The rancher's daughter looks to see the beauty in you. Possibilities, but Wyatt sees the ugliness and disarray. She knows these violent delights have violent ends. <laughs> uh i think my only beef with this I, I, I think she's awesome i didn't really have a problem with it i agree i agree with you that she didn't like it's con she was making a conscious decision that she didn't kill these people um but i i think my only bummer about this whole stuff with this park and seeing all these board members get killed is we didn't really see the the board members like enjoying quote-unquote the park that much in season one right we, we saw them at the the thing at the uh, the gala or whatever, but I kind of just wish that the board members had, had, had more character, like had been introduced earlier because their deaths are essentially meaningless, right? The, the only, the only reason you feel for them at all is that they're, they're human and they act really pathetic and beg for their lives, right? Like it's only because of that, that like it's evoking that, that um, visceral primal part of you that wants to not see another human get tortured to death. But uh, other than that, like from a from a plot perspective, the the deaths are like completely meaningless. Like you don't you don't care about any of these people. And I wish that, um, that Right, we, we only
1: basically only have Charlotte.
0: Right. Uh, I wish we had just you know like yeah. that we had introduced like you don't even need to like name the character. Do you know what I mean? You could have just seen like in season one. You could have seen like this one board member goes back a, a lot of times because he likes murdering this one host over and over again. And now. Uh, turn about being fair play like then we see this character reappear you know like that could have been like a cool moment but instead it's just like all these people i don't care about getting ruthlessly slaughtered Um, yeah
1: the chat people are reminding us about the about william obviously the like ultimate board member who enjoyed himself in the park in season one i guess um ed harris's character so uh, but I, i hear what you're saying like we don't know any of these people who are like perched on these uh, crucifixes or whatever they're they're randos yeah. in this episode we yeah. will have charlotte and william as like representatives of the delos board um and and we'll see how their face play out but in this episode the carnage that we see are just like nameless uh people in formal wear so
0: so uh we see ed harris waking up in this scene uh in th- this episode and um he there's a little action scene where like a delos employees first of all they're calling him bill now right so because they can actually refer to his name now that we don't have this charade of who he is yeah yeah. uh and uh, there's this kind of really cool action scene where ed harris kills these two hosts but yeah you you see how brutal these board members like we we kind of see a reference to the outside world he's like you know my lawyers are going to have your ass before like this guy gets murdered and shot in the head yeah um and then he goes inside this cabin, which maybe maybe it's his personal cabin. Do we assume that, right?
1: I mean, he's got a little stash in there. He's, he's got, got a, he's got a little go bag in there. Yeah, yeah. He does uh, have a
0: go bag. So he goes inside this cabin and opens it up, and his his costume is there. His hat is there. He cleans himself up. He takes bullet out of his his arm, um, and he he truly becomes the Man in Black again. This time for realsies. Um So. Uh, there's also a scene later on in the episode, can I skip forward to this uh, part where yeah. he encounters young robotic Ford, who calls him William. Um, and this is, this is right, Ford programmed this robot to be a young version of him. When he talks, you kind of hear Anthony Hopkins' voice overlaid on top of this guy's, this kid's yeah, voice. Yeah,
1: and this is another thing I learned from Hibbert is that uh, Hopkins definitely did record that dialogue. Yeah. Hopkins is not filming in season two, but he uh, came back to record dialogue.
0: Yeah. Uh, also, we should point out that late, like earlier on, you saw um, Hopkins' dead body with like maggots eating away in his face. Um, in case okay. there's any doubt that that Doctor Ford is actually dead, was a human and is dead, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, like like with the Chinese like soldiers at the beginning, I really do feel like this is the creators being like, "Oh, your theory about that being a robot? No, <laughs> those are maggots. That's a dead human body. Yeah. He's dead. Um, <laughs> there are still people who." are holding out hope, and that's fine. Listen, guys, all options are on the table. But I think I think the maggots are like, no, that's a human, and he's dead. You know?
0: <laughs> there is no mind egg in there, you know? Yeah. Um, which, by the way, is what I call great ideas I have, mind eggs. I just wanted you to know that. I'm uh, glad to know
1: it. <laughs> so uh,
0: then uh, the little Ford talks to William and says, like, congratu- like you found... The actual game that's meant for you. This game is meant for you, unlike the maze, which was not meant for William. Um, and uh, the, the quote here is, the game begins where you end and ends where you began. Um, everything is code here. You know that more than anyone. Basically, William needs to find the door, which I guess is the exit. Feels a little bit simplistic to me. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what this scene means? Uh, why they had Little Ford confront William?
1: Well, I think they're not. They're like, let's still have Ford fuck with William, <laughs> but we're not bringing <laughs> Anthony Hopkins back because of maggots. He's dead. So we're like, oh, let's use little baby bot Ford. Um, uh, one thing I do like about the way the scene ends is uh, because Bill, let's call him Bill, uh, shoots the baby bot. Um, <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, I was like, oh no, do we need? <laughs> I talked about this on the other westworld podcast i do and i'm trying not to repeat myself but this is such a strong thing for me which is that um Walt from lost like became such a problem because he grew so fast and i was like oh they killed the little boy bot so they don't have to deal with a growing actor mm. <laughs> it's like he's done he's dead it did seem uh, like a
0: very weirdly motivated killing like i was like why did you why did you have to murder young Ford? you know it felt like gratuitous to me
1: that's what it felt like to me right because that actor is already like at least a year older than he was like the first in the first season and robots aren't supposed to grow that way so um i don't know what they're gonna do with maeve's daughter to be honest with you but um the yeah, that to me felt like that's why they killed uh that kiddo um the door find the exit find the door no, I mean, I think, I think, you know, begins where you end and then ends where you began. I think where William began is has to do with Dolores. So Dolores is the key to him making it out of there alive. It would be my interpretation of that very Alice in Wonderland esque riddle, right? Mm. Begins where you end and ends where you begin. Like where 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 did William begin? We saw William's origin last season, right? The Man yeah. of Black's origin last season. So, but I do I did like that intonation of like this game is meant for you. Yeah, like, it was very like poor. It was very like creepy video game child. Like whatever. I really liked it. Yeah,
0: I really love that, especially because uh, I think probably because. uh They had uttered the phrase, the maze is not meant for you, probably like 10 times in the first season. (laughs) So for them to finally say, this game is meant for you, it's like, oh, wow, like finally, like he's, he's achieved this. The, he's yeah. gotten to this level in the game where it's actually meant for him. And that, that's cool. So.
1: But I I, I just got to say, I, I just am living for the pettiness of Robert Ford that he, like, left behind a, yet another mindfuck for <laughs> uh, for William, who he, like, really hated. And he's like, oh, you wanted a game, motherfucker? I left you a game. I might be dead, but I'm still messing with you. Mm. So I'm still,
0: I'm it. still super bummed. You know, like, that scene between Ford and the Man in Black in season one was yeah. really... Really awesome, you know, like when they good. sat at the bar with Teddy. Uh, I wish we gotten to see a little bit more of those two characters together. Um, but it's like you know Michael Mann's heat when you see Pacino and De Niro sit down. It's like you only get Just them for a, a few minutes. It. Yeah, Just a little little glimpse of it,
1: a taste,
0: taste of how awesome it is. Okay, uh, so uh, let's pause here for a moment, and we want to thank a few people. We we. Um, Did a Kickstarter to uh, make this season of the show possible. And I just wanted to thank a few of the backers who really kicked in at some of the higher levels uh, to, to support us. And specifically, James Duvall, Caitlin Jackson, Eric Orellana, And Will Wallace, Um, thank you so much for for backing us at some of these higher tiers. Uh, Really appreciate your your donations. We appreciate everyone's donations. And um, we are going to be thanking all 260 backers by name, possibly in very mangled English. Uh, All you (laughs) need to do is uh, wait for that uh, survey email, which will probably be in your inbox by now, and just respond to us. Let us know um, how we can thank you. Um, And uh, we will do so slowly over the course of the next nine episodes of the show. So thanks to those people for, uh, for backing us. And thanks to all of you out there who backed us. Uh, you really make our work possible. Let's move on to what else is going on. Lee Sizemore. Let's talk about Lee Sizemore's uh, plotline here. I'm really relieved, Joanna, that Lee Sizemore seems to have stuff to do this season, which is very exciting because uh, yeah. he's a cool actor. So, Uh, Lee Sizemore is getting attacked by a cannibal uh, that he helped write in season one. Um, Maeve comes in and stops it uh, and then kind of recruits Sizemore to help her out. Um, Sizemore offers to help her find her daughter uh, and says, like, any maps you see, like, they won't be useful because Ford has been terraforming the park, reshaping it. Sizemore takes her to the control room. And uh, the system is all messed up. Like, like I think I don't remember seeing everyone in the control room get slaughtered. I, I feel like I, in season one, I feel like the door closed and the the attacks were protected. But I guess that's no longer true anymore. Um, and then Size exp- like reads her note and tries to find her daughter and sees that uh, uh, the daughter is in Sector 15, which is not exactly for adrenaline junkies, very kid-friendly and pastoral. uh, And kind of, he he talks disparagingly of, uh, or, not disparagingly, but like, very cavalierly mentions, you know, like, oh, I I thought your skills were wasted back then. Still talking about Maeve as though she's a host and not um, a... uh, like a conscious creature with thoughts and dreams of her own, right? Um, So before we continue, any thoughts on this whole sequence of Sizemore and and, uh, Maeve teaming up with them?
1: Yeah, I think what I mean, I think Sizemore worked best last season when he was bumping off like uh, really strong female characters like right. Charlotte and Teresa. Yep. And so they're like, "Ooh, well, let's put it with Maeve. Yeah. <laughs> like it does. It works really, really well. Uh, this I Simon Quartermain, who plays Lee Sizemore, like, you know, Sizemore's not a character you like, but I love – watching uh quarter do him. And I think this is a really good use of him. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see sort of what happens here. Um, we, you know, we should mention, I guess, like, I don't know if you're going to mention the whole, like may finding Hector um, and then them getting dressed. Um, this is something we'll see again later with Charlotte and Bernard. But what it seems to me is that, um the best way to move through the park right now given the way that the hosts are are gunning down people in formal wear is to get in some to some cowboy gear mm. uh, that is a like i think that they don't explicitly say it but it seems to me like the hosts are programmed to shoot people in formal wear rather than um just humans because Charlotte later puts on like some cowboy gear, which is just like maybe more practical than the gown she's wearing. But like, we also see Maeve and Hector and, uh, Lee all, uh, you know, they're going to get into cowboy gear as well. Um, another thing is like, this is another theory, another theory at the end of the last season was that Maeve's daughter would be in like one of the other worlds, like Shogun world or something like that. Turns out she's exactly where Maeve right. left her, which is the homestead. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. What about me? My dreams. My thoughts. My body. Are they not real? And what if I took these unreal fingers? <gasps> and use them to decorate the walls with your outsized personality. Would that be real? And fuck your directions. You're going to take me to my daughter. Uh, there's a few other sequences with, with Maven Sizemore. Um, they encounter some of the guards from Delos. I mean, I, I had forgotten how ineffective the security at Delos was before I rewatched season one, but, uh, you know, there's certain things you need to accept for the show to work for you, right? One of them is that. Humankind has developed this extremely advanced robotic technology and so on. Uh, but the idea – like, Delos just feels like a really poorly run – or Del- Westworld, I guess, as a park, just feels extremely poorly run. That they that they wouldn't have considered this exact possibility, which would be the first thing anyone should consider when you are when you think to yourself, I want to start a park that has a ton of robots running around with weapons. Uh, right. It, it just feels like really careless uh, – amusement park planning in my opinion. But right. anyway, the 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 guards are like woefully woefully inefficient and incompetent. Uh and we see that again when they're easily slaughtered by Maeve in this episode. So Yeah, um, and
1: we should we should mention obviously that that like Maeve making Size more stripped down like to nothing is a nice little flip on every time that Maeve was uh stripped down to nothing last season. So a nice little voyeur, voyeur, female gaze uh, yeah. moment. Yeah, and for- Sizemore
0: does the full frontal in this episode, which sure I thought was, does. It was a bold move. Uh, but also the, there was, um, you're, you're talking, there was a, the, the biggest laugh line from the episode for me was uh, when she says to Sizemore like, first of all, Sizemore betrays her, which I thought, dude, are you insane? You've seen this woman can control robots, is incredibly smart. Um and he tries to, like, tip the authorities off, and then she says to him, uh, if you try that again, I will relieve you of your most precious organ and feed it to you, though it won't make much of a meal. And then Sizemore says, I wrote that for you. And, I, and then she says something like, it's a bit much, I think, right?
1: Like a bit broad or something <laughs> yeah, like that? it's a
0: bit broad, right, which I thought was hilarious. But then I thought about it, and I was like, wait, what, what context would Maeve, the uh, brothel owner, have had to say that line? You know, maybe oh,
1: and he, she was very defensive of um, her girls in, mm. in 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 like in the saloon. She would threaten dudes all the time, right? Right. So that that seemed very in character to Malone, to Mave the saloon madam to me. But like, yeah, Sizemore's delivery of like I wrote that line for you <laughs> was like so
0: good. Yeah, so good. It, it is just kind <laughs> of like um, you know what the, a lot of it reminded me of. Actually, do you ever see that movie Alien Covenant?
1: I sure have. Yes. Right,
0: we may have even spoken about it at some point. <laughs> but uh, the opening scene of Alien Covenant is, is shows the creation of the robot David, played by uh, Michael Fassbender. And w- without going too much into it, during the course of that scene, like it, it's his first, he's he's just being born into the world, David. Right, this is first like scene being alive. And during the course of that short scene, he realizes that uh, he is in many ways more advanced than his creator. And that's a theme of that movie, but it's definitely a theme of this show as well, that I'm very curious to see how it will be fleshed out in this season, is the idea that like the the relationship between the creator and creation and how one may be superior to the other or how one may be able to transcend the other. Um, And that line uh, with, you know, I wrote you that line, like... um, kind of brought that theme to the forefront for me. And of course it's prevalent throughout the rest of the episode as well. So, uh, okay. What else? Yeah. We talked about a little bit how she recruits, uh, Hector again, Hector, who, by the way, super understanding given that Maeve left him behind to die at the end of last season, but still a devoted follower of her. Uh, and she recruits Hector to help find the daughter. And then they kind of dress up in the cowboy outfit. Anything else you want to say about the Maeve Sizemore storyline?
1: No, I'm just, yeah. uh, you know, this this happened on Lost all the time, um, where you just reshuffle groups of people and you get like certain, um, chem, you know, chemistry off of certain people right. working together. I'm talking about the TV show Lost. Yeah. Um, Different permutations no, of the of no, the no spoilers for Dave, who I think hasn't seen Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never. Thought about the Maeve Sizemore pairing, and I'm like deeply excited for it. Add, yeah. add a little Hector in there. Great. I'm hoping they find Armistice too before they go back in the park. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like all of a sudden really. I mean, I was always excited to see whatever Maeve had to do, but um, yeah, the, si- the like- Sizemore
0: Maeve pairing is definitely a great decision so far. Yeah. I, I mean, Sizemore made more of an impression on me in this episode than he did in the entire season one, I would say. Yeah. Um, so. There's
1: this just there's this great shot and AP- HBO knows it because they released it as one of the stills from the episode where like they walk into the map room and like Sizemore's plan of like this is going to be my insurance I can help her read this map she won't kill me is blown <laughs> and he's got this like um like oh shit sad look on his face and she's got this like what a bitch like um another another fun mess you've gotten me into like look on her face mm. and it's just and they're just standing there and um uh, yeah so I'm excited
0: all right. So then, the only other plotline I think we need to cover is this whole um, Charlotte and Bernard storyline that happens. Right? They they're they're out there. They're trying to find uh, a place to get safe. There's this really pretty terrible scene, in my opinion. Where the, they're with these board members, and one of the board members says, at last, we're saved. And I'm just like, that guy's going to die. You know, that was pretty bad. <laughs> uh, and then Bernard is like, no, Charlotte, come over here. And they <laughs> somehow yeah. escape the It is It was a pretty rough scene pretty rough scene uh, it's pretty I, silly but we
1: we get we get angela to Little riley's character wearing a crown of thorns kind of for mm-hmm. i don't know why um but you know she's she's dishing up some some nice jesus imagery there i suppose and executes
0: uh, that woman brutally you know yeah yeah it's rough it's stuff yeah yeah but, but that's again I, you know i, I don't want to harp on this too much but i just feel like oh man that scene would have been so much more powerful if you had seen that woman before or had some context for who that woman was, right? Um, and when, when you see them executing the hosts on the beach, and you, you're talking about how um, that that host that we recognize is there, uh, Rebus is there, right? And like that scene is so much more effective because you know who Rebus is. You've seen him before. Uh, I just wish we'd gotten a little bit more of the board members and that they were slightly less cartoonish um, in the show. So they go underground. Uh, they find uh, a part of the park that they can... Uh, be be protected. This is
1: another part that lab. cracked me up a little bit. Like, I don't mind that there are secret labs in the park because, like, Ford had secret labs, so Charlotte has a secret lab. That's fine. But like, it's she literally like moves a rock and there's like a lever and she pulls it and <laughs> this thing comes out of the ground. That's how things work in Westworld. Like, I'm not complaining. It's consistent. It just was like kind of funny. She's like, I think it's right around here. It is. It's a lever <laughs> in, under a rock in the ground. Let's yeah. go. Um, so yeah, so they go to this secret lab. I mean, I, it's secret, like Bernard doesn't know about it. I, I feel very certain that Ford knew, as he told Theresa last season, Ford knows everything that's happening in his park. So Charlotte might think this was a secret off the grid lab, but I'm pretty sure Ford knew exactly what the hell she was doing. So
0: a few revelations in this uh, secret lab, we see them harvesting, uh, guest DNA, right? in yeah. you know like it's it's crazy that a multinational corporation would be harvesting users data what in ways that might be advantageous buried in the terms
1: of service somewhere it's crazy. i know it's
0: not <laughs> buried in the terms of service we can take your dna too and uh, we see drone hosts which i thought was a really cool concept brought to life very yeah. well yeah, uh, it's there's just dudes
1: a, in suits, and I got to say, I really love dudes in suits. I talked about this, and I don't know if you saw the Netflix series Lost in Space, but the robot character that they have on, on that series uh, is definitely a, just a dude in a suit. And I am here for a good dude in suit character anytime. So Yeah,
0: I, so there's a featurette that HBO released where Jonathan Nolan's talking about uh, what the design – aesthetic was for these creatures and it's basically what if we had hosts but with none of the accoutrement of the park right what if mm-hmm. it was hosts but you didn't need to make them look human right we we wanted to be, to be able to do stuff for us we want them to have fingers and stuff and be able to manipulate things but uh, we don't need to dress them up in clothes we don't need them to have faces or skin or anything like that um, but it's still basically uh, robotics with biomatter right and right. I thought it was like a really creepy, beautiful rendition of what that would be like, um
1: yeah. plus, like Bernard's alarm at right. see, you know like it looms over his shoulder i mean like i i think most of us saw that shot in the trailer you know yeah. but like it's just looming over his shoulder and then his like total freak out at seeing it is uh, it sells us because like bernard has seen plenty in this park so for bernard to be freaked out is like is pretty impactful um i, I, I
0: thought it was both like a really cool design and also kind of comical how creepy they looked You know, that no one at some point of the design process would be, hey, maybe we shouldn't make these things absolutely terrifying so that when they inevitably rebel against us, uh, it basically becomes a horror film. You know what I mean?
1: Maybe they tried. Maybe they, like, put a smile on it and, like, some googly eyes and they're like, nope, it's worse, it's worse, it's worse. They went went
0: deeper into the uncanny valley before they they pulled back out a little bit for the current drone host design. Yeah,
1: Exactly. But, yeah, so the drone hosts are not only collecting DNA uh, by swabbing pubes, which is disturbing, you know. Like it, it, it opens up uh, doors to like possible cloning, maybe of the rich and powerful powerful guests that they have uh, have visited the park. Mm. Um, I will be finishing the film Future World. Uh, you, know, spoiler alert, maybe you guys all want to w- go watch the movie Future World, which was the uh, sequel to the original movie Westworld. But um, they could potentially be cloning guests in the park. They also are extracting the mind eggs, which means that they uh, are logging what you've done when you're in the park so like let's say let's say you're the president of the united states and you've gone to westworld and you've had sex with the robots. that's what people do and uh and you've done a bunch of other stuff maybe involving urine i don't know whatever and uh now delos incorporated has video of everything that you did and a, your a DNA.
0: Tape. A, t- a P-tape. as it
1: Oh, be. yeah. I mean, that didn't even occur to me as a phrase. But, yeah, a P-tape <laughs> um, of what you did. And uh, so maybe they can leverage it to get you, the president of the United States, whoever you may be, uh, to do what they want you to do, mm. Dallas wants you to do. And if you would refuse to comply, maybe they just make a clone host of you uh, and replace you. Who knows? Yeah, it's almost just- like
0: this this other uh, organization, right? This outside organization organization. Uh, uh, a, a government as it were might have some leverage over important people because of you know things like p-tape or or other uh, information they may have on you right and it's a, it's an extremely far fetched situation so
1: it, it would never happen but it, uh, it,
0: it's incomprehensible like you actually sound like an insane person right now so. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, no collusion. But anyway, um, point being that uh, this this is something that they were hinting at a lot in season one of like um, all the all the Delos employees, like Teresa and Charlotte, were like, "You think we give a shit about an amusement park? Delos <laughs> has a much bigger plan in mind." And this seems this seems to be the plan,
0: right? So they're trying to smuggle Abernathy out yeah. of the park, right? That was introduced in season one, where they basically loaded up all this IP into Abernathy as far as, yeah. as my understanding cuz uh, abernathy 35 had
1: 35 years of data is what she yeah, said had
0: gotten his mind emptied out and um they're trying to extract abernathy and Delos is like well we're not going to save anyone all we give a crap about is uh is is abernathy which feels like kind of um weird you know um like you you'd think they would still give a crap about all this terrible uh the terrible consequences of his robot uprising uh, and then later on, we see the that they, they do give
1: at least,
0: yeah, the legalities. And then we later see that they do give a crap because they've sent people. So it is. Weird. I don't know
1: that Charlotte's uh, like. I would have to go back and rewatch. But does Charlotte say like the robots are killing us? Get us out. She's like, we need an extraction. Right. And they're like, no, we need the package. And she's mm. like, the package is on its way. And they're like, package didn't arrive. And she's like, we need extraction though. Mm. And they're like, no, we need the package. So like, I don't know if Charlotte had typed into that little machine. Like maybe she didn't for legal Leo reasons. No trail. Like, the robots are killing us. Get us out of here. Maybe they would have come. But um, something that didn't occur to me last for some reason last season, even though we talked about Jurassic Park a lot, right, because Michael Crichton, I consider Westworld sort of like Michael Crichton's uh, rough draft for Jurassic park. And you and I talked about this a little bit on, on NPR. Um, but, uh, that, that makes Abernathy. I t- I wrote about this last night. That makes Abernathy, uh, the shaving cream can <laughs> full of dinosaur embryos, right. Um, that Nedry is trying to smuggle off the yes, island in Jurassic right. park. Um, and the IP, the precious IP that they're trying to get off the park. And, uh, so if we want to carry that, you know, metaphor to the breaking point. Uh, they let they definitely let Abernathy fall down the waterfall, just like Nedry left let the shaving cream can fall down the waterfall in Jurassic Park because mm-hmm. they don't know where he is. Except Bernard is able to sort of like, via this mesh network that I don't remember if we knew about last season, but he's able to um, figure out where Abernathy is while also uh, diagnosing himself and fixing himself a little patching. I would say patching himself. Um, we find out that he's got like critical failure. Uh, the yeah. the wound in his head is like a critical failure. He's got .72 hours, I think it is, uh, before like he's toast. Um, he some of the symptoms they listed were like aphasia, face blindness, <laughs> um, and a few other things. And like, like lo- losing
0: time is a big one too.
1: Losing time, aphasia, face blindness. All right, so Bernard is our our narrator a bit. Like that's what this that's the setup, right? Two weeks from now, Carl Strand's like, what happened? And Bernard <laughs> is like, are supposed to be reporting on what happened. Is that is that
0: a mighty wind reference, by the way? It's
1: definitely a mighty wind Nice. Reference.
0: Okay. Um, right,
1: well if that's what's happening, uh Bernard with his aphasia and face blindness and like missing time is the worst person to report on this, right? So and I mean, that's what happened with Dolores last season. Dolores is like glitching all over the place. So this season, it's Bernard's turn, um, if indeed that is even is the same Bernard uh, two weeks in the future. But um, yeah, it's it's um, it, it's an interesting premise for for the Nolans fucking with us once again <laughs> to give us Bernard, who doesn't know where he is, when he is, or who he's talking to. You know. Also, so. he
0: gives himself a transfusion of host blood. Is that yeah. basically what I, and that like solves him solves the problem yeah. for now?
1: I think it's it 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 struck me as a band-aid. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> band-aid solution, not yeah. not solving the uh cause, solving the symptoms. Um right. uh, that's that's weird. I just say that's weird. You know, like this show is kind of retconning all kinds of things. So this mesh network was never introduced in season one, right? Uh as far as I can remember.
1: I can't recall it now. Yeah.
0: Um, but I
1: don't mind it. Yeah, it's it's
0: it's, uh, because I I think the idea is that when we're watching Westworld, we're thinking, oh, these are these are all like self-contained autonomous robots, Uh, and then the idea of the mesh network is no, they're actually networked together, communicating with each other, which seems. Uh, like it would be it would be helpful it you know that does seem like it would be useful, but it, yeah, it does feel like a very star trekky thing that they just invented to to explain this plot thing so
1: anyway uh, a lot of a lot of people in the chat room are confused about the transfusion. I really do think it 's just like sort of. I don't know, someone giving themselves a shot of adrenaline, you know, like a <laughs> like, like Bruce Wilson die hard, like uh, not that he gives himself, you know, like like your action here at the end of his rope. And he does like something just to sustain him through like the next thing. But it's not a cure. as I, I would guess once again, that's a guess. Um, someone else in the chat room. Uh, mentioned like well, Bernard's fine. Two weeks later, so obviously that transfusion sort of sustained him. I'm not what, sure that was that's, he fine. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's the case. You know, was, I'm not sure. We're not sure what you know. We saw a lot of weird things in those flashes that we assume were in Bernard's head at the beginning of the episode, including like I think him like kind of glitching out. So I I don't know what's going to happen to him. I will say this: you mentioned in our preview episode uh, when we had Paul Shear on that you were like. I wonder, once again, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't. But you're like, I wonder what's happening with Elsie's character. And I've got to say, if I'm Bernard and I need someone to patch me up and I choked out Elsie and stash her somewhere, I'd go find her. That's what I would do. <laughs> right? Well, Elsie glad, could glad to him. know what you
0: do and that's Jewish.
1: <laughs> Elsie could fix him and he could probably tell her, he like, sorry about that time I choked you to unconsciousness can you fix me also PS don't tell anyone I'm a robot because they're killing robots mm. and I need to stay in Cognito. I mean, that's right. the thing we should mention. The reason that Bernard, I think the reason that Bernard is so invested in keeping his identity as a robot hidden from Charlotte and other people is like, he saw what happened to that stable boy. Right. Yeah. like, yeah. The humans are scared and they're just going to kill whatever robot they find. They're not going to wait for an explanation of like, no, I'm a, I'm a nice robot. You know, no. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and then we kind of have this really cool flash forward sequence right? where, where like Bernard is like losing time, right? And then it cuts forward to a couple weeks, right? Um, uh, two weeks. Is, is what I recall, yeah. Um, and then they find, uh, oh, so a c- couple things. First of all, they find a, Uh, Bengal tiger, right? Which,
1: um, first they find Ford, right? First they
0: find Ford. Then they find Bengal tiger. Well,
1: we, and I just want to quickly mention, we see these like mechanical buzzards at the, at the party. Uh, and that was obviously like the iconography they used for the season on the posters for these like mechanical buzzards. So there they are. And then the Bengal tiger.
0: So Stubbs says like uh, it's from park six. So then we actually find out that there are at least six parks in, uh, in this mm-hmm. entire complex, which is, mm-hmm. I think, new information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they find this body of water that has tons of dead bodies in it, um, including Teddy. A lot of questions about who is that at the end. That's definitely Teddy. Um, and Which, which I
1: missed be- the first time around, by the way. <laughs>
0: We got an email from Chelsea from Indiana who wrote to Decoding Westworld at gmail.com. Uh, long-time listener of all your shows, first-time emailer. I have to wonder if we're going to see some incredibly on-the-nose tie-in with Teddy Flood ending up in a mysterious body of water that, again, is mysterious. How does no one know about it exactly? Anyways, it seems way too obvious for Westworld, but I have to admit, seeing Teddy in that mystery water after Dolores said the future ends with us made my mind water, uh, my mind wander. Please disprove me ASAP. I would hate for this to be the end result, but the existing name correlations have me worried um and so Chelsea's talking about the on the name uh, on the nose names uh that the show has sometimes right right right. Um, Teddy
1: Teddy Flood, like, Delore, Payne, Dolores, sort of thing. Teddy Flood winds up drowned in a lake.
0: Ford, the entrepreneur who founded a major automotive sure, company.
1: Sure. Arnold, I don't know. Okay. Arnold uh, anyway. after
0: Schwarzenegger, who was able to make a life for himself Obviously. in an unfamiliar place. Bernard Please. after, yeah, I have no idea. Okay, I'm done.
1: George Bernard Shaw. Okay, so anyway. um. <laughs> um a few questions right uh we should talk about the fact that this seems to relate back to some of the language we saw between we presume Arnold and Dolores at the beginning of this episode this idea of like a distant shore and Arnold being left behind uh is that distant shore like advanced consciousness uh or is it a literal shore and Bernard is left holding the bag here like what's going on he says he killed them all We did see a flash of him shooting off a machine gun. I don't, um, I don't believe. Uh, Whatever he's saying, there's something more, obviously, going on. Um,
0: Whatever who's who's saying?
1: Whatever Bernard's saying. About him killing everyone? Yeah. I mean, like, something's, are they really dead? Can a host die? Are they all playing possum in a lake? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, we don't know what we're seeing. That, that but was it's, one it's,
0: thing that I was kind of surprised by is like these hosts are going against their uh, programming, right, throughout the whole mm-hmm. episode. But they still die when you cut, like when like, Harris cuts one of the hosts' throat. Like the host dies. And it's like, well, theoretically that host could continue functioning. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just programmed to die when its throat is cut. Do you know what I'm saying? Anyway. I just thought it was a little odd that like they're going against programming but they're still they still they still are using the death subroutine apparently does that make sense
1: um yeah uh... like, like, theoretically
0: if a, a machine should only stop functioning when it can no longer physically continue but these these robots are programmed to like take certain inputs to mean death right like get shot you're dead your throat's cut dead you know like that kind of stuff and so I thought it was anyway I'm probably thinking way too deeply about... No, I'm just... I'm trying yeah. to
1: find a quote from Jonathan Nolan about... Okay, this is something Jonathan Nolan said like uh, during season one. He said, the host construction and their power source is something we're really going to get to during season two. They're closer to biological than they are to mechanical, mm. but they don't suffer brain death the same way we do. They're largely indistinguishable from human being, but the brains don't require oxygen, which opens up interesting possibilities. Their brains are not as fragile as ours. On one hand, their cognition is controllable and malleable, but on a structural level, they can't be killed in the same way you and i can there are advantages and disadvantages to being a host season two will be exploring more the nuts and bolts of what they are as the hosts themselves are trying to understand mm. so got it uh i'm not sure that fully answers uh our questions uh but at least the nolan nolan says like we're thinking about it i, and maybe I will withhold
0: judgment before yeah. i cluck my tongue and say uh that they did a bad job of uh of reasoning how Mm -hmm. these hosts would behave in a rebellion situation anyway Joanna sorry I derailed you a little bit uh we were just talking about this final scene with um what what it actually means did Bernard actually kill all these hosts that kind of stuff
1: I mean we'll find out I just think it's important like that we all keep our minds open to do not take anything at face value (laughs) right right.
0: also there's a final scene with Teddy and Dolores they have a chat um he says, "You know, we've ridden ten miles. All we've seen is blood. Is this really what you want?" Uh, and Dolores makes some very vague remarks about how, like, I see everything clearly—the past, present, and future. It all ends with you and me. And then she says, "We gotta show you. We gotta show you this thing, Teddy. Gotta show you this thing." And then I don't think we see the thing that she shows him. Right?
1: Um. Yeah. Not yet.
0: Yeah. Any uh, so any other thoughts on on that? So you just wanted to cover off on that before we wrap up with overall thoughts on the episode. But anything else you want to mention about the Dolores Steady plotline? No, that's it. All right. Well, I think that's everything. That's a lot. A uh, lot of stuff happened this episode. Overall thoughts. I mean, I think this is really different than the first season. Uh, we, we have a lot more answers and a lot more. Uh, stuff we can rely on. Like we, we know that it's like, we now are made explicitly aware that it's separate timelines for, for one thing.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: but yeah, any overall thoughts on this episode?
1: I still think they're messing with us. (laughs) about Something. Um, we'll figure out what it is soon. Um, but uh, you know, I liked it. I, I, the only thing that I don't like so far is like, I'm not really interested in what Dolores is doing. Mm. And I feel bad about that. I'm interested in what Maeve's doing. I'm inter- I'm invested in Bernard and Charlotte and, like, a bunch of different characters. But I'm not really that interested in Dolores. And um, I she's love so, She's Rich so Wood. far
0: in the opposite direction, right? Like, yeah. It, it, she doesn't feel torn about anything, right? It's not like, oh, yeah. man, should I be killing these people? You know, like, she's just murdering people and torturing them and being really – uh being really really a meanie about it you know i mean yeah um, so that's
1: just not that interesting to me so hopefully right. i mean i'm sure that they're i'm sure they're gonna have more for her to do but in, in terms of this episode i thought the dolores stuff was the least interesting to like rewatch as i rewatched the episode so
0: i did think it was interesting that you know that, that they've i i thought to myself maybe they're gonna do like linear storytelling now you know like maybe at the end of the first season they're like well we had our fun with deceiving the audience and Fucking with them, and now it's time for us to, you know, go the old fashioned storytelling. And I think you're right that we we can't trust anything we're seeing, and that they're like doing like damages style, right? Where um, the show oh damages, yeah, it
1: is, it is damages. Yeah,
0: where it's like basically at the beginning of every season of damages, it starts with like what happened at the end, usually someone dying. And then it's like through the course of the season, you're going to find out all the stuff that led to that person's death. In this case, you're you're going to find out like all the stuff that led to Bernard theoretically murdering all these hosts. Um, so, you know, the, the, the show sets up these conflict, these questions, right? These questions that theoretically it's going to answer, you know. Uh, why did Bernard murder all these things? What is going to happen with Dolores um, when she reaches – the outside world, you know, if she ever gets there. What, is, what does she mean when she says it ends with you and me, Teddy? Um, how did Teddy end up dead? Um, what's gonna Is Maeve going to find her daughter? What's going to happen at that point? Is, so it sets up all these questions, and I think uh, they're interesting questions to me. Uh, but I also understand why people might continue to be frustrated with the show because there is still a lot of stuff going on that you don't know what is happening. You don't know why these characters... You don't know the motivations. You don't know like what, like what's driving Dolores, right? Um, specifically, her I think is is, is an issue.
1: Yeah, um, um Stephanie in the chat room also mentioned um Bill, the man in black, and I also don't care about him, to be honest with you.
0: Right. Right. Um
1: uh, and there's really no knock on Ed Harris or Evan Rachel Wood, who I like so much. But yeah. uh, like at least in this episode I'm like I don't really
0: care. Yeah, like is they, this thing like you know, you know, is this thing find the exit? Like what's the door? You know, like what what is his journey now? Um so I but I am
1: emotionally invested in me. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're. Like we don't know what these people's motivations are. Whatever. Like Bernard, it, despite the fact that he is like the most uh, obviously a robot because of the way he's glitching out, I do care about him because like Bernard, Bernard is ultimately a pretty sympathetic character. The fact that he's got this like ticking clock on his life and this big secret he has to conceal from the one person who's helping him right now, that is compelling to me. Um, and then the fact that Maeve has this clear, emotional, very human and understandable, uh, you know, motivation, which is to find her daughter. Right. And and she's got some interesting people with her while she's doing it. That's compelling and interesting to me. What Dolores and William are doing in this episode so far is not as interesting
0: to yeah, me. Yeah, so. I agree. I agree. And so we'll see how uh, those develop over time. So uh i think that's it there was this email about charlotte we can talk about that next week we've already gone really long um yeah gustavo
1: we'll talk about next week.
0: we'll talk about gustavo's email next week but uh that's all for now um we're gonna send out surveys for you guys to fill out from kickstarter so please be on the lookout for that in the meantime um as we wrap up uh you can find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com email us at decodingwestworld.gmail.com joanna robinson where can people find more of your work on the internet this week
1: um, I'm hosting another Westworld podcast called Still Watching, colon, Westworld uh, through Vanity Fair. So that's something that, that will probably be going up Sunday nights if you need my, like, immediate, slightly ill-informed reaction. And then, like, you can hear Dave, uh, the two of us, like, chew over the episode later in the week. And I am writing on VanityFair.com. And follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This.
0: Follow me on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. I'm also on Instagram and a bunch of other places. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Decoding Westworld. We'll see you next week.